So welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Super Together. I am James Cochran. And I am Ginger Rothis. I was trying to come up with a clever way to introduce our topic today, which is politics, but I can't think of anything clever. Um, obviously, the most newsworthy the most newsworthy item is that um, in the Democratic primary, that's been sort of narrowed down to basically one guy. And if things weren't intense before, uh, they're going to start getting intense in earnest now that we basically know who the primary candidates are going to be. Uh, come November. So we thought it might be valuable to uh, begin a discussion about how politics show up in our lives, particularly in the way that we relate to others. And And it struck me as I was thinking about this topic that politics is one of those few things that is inherently relational slash communal. Even if you never talk to another soul about politics, even if it, it never escapes your lips, you have an experience and then you sort of manifest your digestion of that experience by voting or by deciding not to vote, which is in and of itself is a particular kind of action. And you do that in conjunction with your community. So you make your voice heard in that way, in the same way that everybody else does. And so there is a, there's a communal dimension to it. Now, in reality, I think we, we have a political experience and we all have sort of varying degrees of how comfortable we are. In 2016, I was about one year removed from social media. Right before my daughter was born in 2015, I was like, you know, really want to devote my attention to her because I'm just an awesome guy. And got off of all social media and really got out just in time, I think. Um, my impression was that it was kind of a nightmare to be a part of the political discourse um, in the years that followed. Now, I'm, I'm sort of back on social media in some ways. So I guess I am. I want to entertain the question, what is the nerve that it's hitting? That, to me, feels like an important place to start in trying to discern how do we engage politically and relationally in a way that feels honest and fair and has the requisite amount of integrity. What what are your thoughts on why it feels like it rouses up so much? I, don't, I think that it feels like an assessment of our personal values and or an attack on our personal values. So so I think it comes as do most relationship things for me comes back to a level of self-awareness of what do I really value and believe and then probably which party represents that and then which person in the party because I think there's a difference too between the message and the messenger in politics. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that, um, and I think what gets us going oftentimes is the messenger is a more of a personality um, issue that we have, and we put that in a politics bucket. But but really, if we don't get triggered by personalities of of politicians. If we really looked at the values within politics, mm-hmm. I think we could have more civil conversations. Um, but there, you're right. There is something triggering about this whole topic in our society. And yeah. more so, I see with age. I mean, over time. Um, mm-hmm. I So when I was a child, my dad was a lobbyist in the pharmaceutical industry. And Uh-oh. he. I grew up watching him 
really be neutral with politics because he never knew who would get elected. And so he really sure. wanted relationships with everybody. And so I grew up in a house that talked about politics often, but in a very neutral way and a very balanced way. So he was, I, I wasn't even sure what political party, when I got old enough to kind of know all and mm -hmm. be intrigued, I really couldn't nail what party he would vote for because the conversations were always so balanced and value driven and more platform, not yeah. person. Um, so that really shaped, I think, my view. And now in 2020, I'm looking at this incredibly triggering political environment we have. And um, I just, it, it overwhelms me that this is such a, um, because of somebody who values mental health in our society, it really overwhelms me that this is such a triggering topic. I posted that, hey, we're going to be talking about politics. You know, how does it show up in your lives? And somebody said, uh, politics and morality go hand in hand for me. I feel so strongly about it that I would rather not know if someone is a supporter of a particular or of a certain political figure. And and again, you go to this discussion of values. Um, and I think that in many ways, because of how modern political parties have sort of co-opted certain ideologies, belief systems, um, values, you know, the party says, Hey, here's all the things that we think and believe. And then you say, well, if you're, if you don't vote for that party, you don't believe those things. And so I think it becomes a, a very dualistic, a very, either you're in or you're out kind of way of thinking about it we feel ourselves sort of established in opposition to others. And that, that always is a recipe for conflict. We've talked about before, you know, being on the same team, you know, working toward the same goals, that sort of unity idea. And right off the bat with politics, it feels like you are either talking to somebody in a different camp or you're sorting somebody into a different camp, or you're talking to somebody that's in the same camp as you about other people who are in a different camp. And so that, I think, sorting feels intense in those moments. We are inside an argumentative paradigm that is inclined toward scandal. I mean, we call them debates. You know, like there is a uh, who's right, who's wrong, who has the best approach toward a particular issue. And that sort of right and wrong dimension is very much antithetical to connection or at a minimum, it is not well suited to connection. There is difficulty in figuring out what, what's the playing field that we need to be on so that we can engage in these discussions without conflict. Cause I think that they matter. It is, you know, and most of the time, what, like what this comment said, we just sort of abdicate social responsibility for engaging in these conversations. We just say these conversations are too hard. We, we don't want to learn that somebody believes a certain thing and then decide that we hate them and never talk to them again. So I feel like we need some kind of framework to be able to say, okay, what does it look like to actually sit down with somebody that we disagree with or that we agree with, or that we don't know where we stand related to, but try to have that conversation in a way that feels productive. Yeah. And I, I mean, I see the same concept in religious differences, in cultural differences, right? It's this tribalism kind of behavior of I'm in, you're out. I'm, I have the answer. You don't, you should come over to my perspective and my 
view of the world. And what what we all know in like and and I'm kind of thinking through a religious filter right now is there is more in common than there is different, right? And so if I look at politics, if what if we just came from a place of we are all trying to live in a democracy. We are all trying to further this country. We really are trying to take care of the humans that live in our nation. Um, you know, if we really started from a place of where are we, where do we all have a common objective here and common service and common calling, if you will. Um, but to your point, naming something a debate already puts us on the defensive. I think we're already coming in like, oh, I got, it's got to be a fight. It's got to be an argument. We got to find where we're different instead of where we're alike. And then I think there is kind of a metaphor for relationships too of, you know, we, if that same thing, if there's more common in common than we have different, but do you let the differences be the deal breakers or is there enough in common that we can exist with a few differences? There's part of me that wants to spend some time and energy explaining kind of why it feels like this is the way that it is. And I don't know how valuable that is. Ultimately, we have this this sort of political machine, it's, it's designed to say, well, you know, I, I want to motivate you out of your chair and into the polls by telling you how good I am and how bad that other person is, you know, voting for this other person is tantamount to murdering somebody that you love or somebody that you care about. And incidentally, like that's how intense the language gets. Sometimes I know people who will say, I will never vote for this particular kind of candidate because of issue X, Y, or Z. It escapes the reasonable realm of looking at the world and instead enters into this place of we're sort of locked in to a particular kind of behavior that is voting based on a very one-dimensional way of looking at the world. And again, that is that is exactly the kind of engine that I think drives most politics is it's saying, how do I motivate you to always vote with me? And it's usually through fear. It's usually through challenging your values, making you think that this is a, this is not a practical decision, but it instead it is a moral decision. And I think that that's why the stakes often feel so high and why we don't want it to be a part of relationships. And we don't feel like we have the capacity for civil discourse and, and, and having conversations about, well, here are some of the things that I believe. Uh, what are some of the things that you believe? What, you know, how do we both think that our candidate would approach this issue? Um, conversations really never look like that. One of the thoughts that I want us to explore as we consider how relationships and politics work together is this idea of like, does, is there a relationship between how close a person is to us and how disrupted we feel by their political beliefs? One of my favorite SNL characters is um, Bobby Moynihan's drunk uncle on Saturday Night Live, you know, who's just just obnoxious and, 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 and misogynistic and racist and, and articulates a lot of, um, you know, political values that we can all kind of roll our eyes at and say, oh, yeah, that's, you know, we've all got that uncle. But we only see them once or twice a year, so it really doesn't bother us that they hold on to those political beliefs that feel different than ours. And But it's different when it's your father-in-law. My father-in-law and I don't always agree on politics, and, and I see him pretty regularly. 
And I imagine it's very, very different when it's your spouse, your partner. So you're, you know, somebody that lives with you and is there with you all the time. So any thoughts about how do we, how do we conceptualize that as we look at the the nature of those relationships? Yeah, I, I haven't had the challenge of dating or being married to somebody who really disagreed with my politics. So I can't speak to what, um, you know, from experience of trying to navigate that. Mm -hmm. I think what comes to mind, though, is to me, the relationship is the important thing. And these views on who we elect and policies and is is secondary. So then it's, um, you know, is this is this worth fighting for in a relationship, I think becomes my question. Um, or is this something where with, if both parties have a level of self-awareness that could allow them to, you know, sit in disagreement without mm. letting that go into a judgment of character or, or a complete disgust for one another. Mm. Um, but I think that that does require a lot of self-awareness on our part of why does this upset me so much? Why is it that I can't control this person? Is it that I feel judged by them? Is it that I just need to be right? Um, you know, we have to really look within, I think, and say, why is this hurting my relationship with this person? Because mm-hmm. the relationship's more important than the political views, in my opinion. But then it does circle back to our values. And and is this is there something to be said for um, how we label politics is really saying something about the quality of person you are? Is that what we're putting onto this? And so then, you know, we are, we are judging one another. Uh, if we're very sure. honest with it, we're by this label that we've arbitrarily said, this party is this way. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that's where it comes back to, is it worth, is it worth fighting for? And mm. to me, there's there are certain things worth fighting for, and there's certain things not. But in a in a father in law situation where you're not choosing this person in your life, they are they are coming yeah. into your life. Um, then it doesn't seem worth the stress and the fighting for. However, if you're dating somebody and you're choosing to spend the rest of your life with them and you're trying to filter through that decision, then I think being like-minded certainly mm. leads to a path of more peace in a marriage than than not. And to me, if the end goal is a peaceful, happy marriage and lifetime partnership, then um, let's get these conversations out and make sure we are sort of headed in the same direction philosophically. Yeah. I I really love what you said about, can we sit in disagreement without resorting to judging each other's character? One of the things that feels very true for my relationship with my father-in-law, I have, I have tremendous respect for his character and there are times when I, I can use that against him. Not, um, I don't mean it, mean it in a Machiavellian way, but it's, but it's one of those things where if we ever do talk about politics, I can say to him, like, I know, I, I know you care about this thing, you know, or, or I know that this issue matters to you. You know, I know that it's not as reductive as 
as a talking head might have us think that it is, that there is more depth to how we're approaching the situation. I have the luxury of knowing my father-in-law in all these other ways that allow me to do that. And I think that if we could approach these conversations with the recognition that there is more to this person than this political belief. Uh, Richard Rohr in one of his podcasts was telling this really great story about someone that was on the same sort of chemo ward with him and, you know, knew very little about this guy, but knew him to be generally likable and, um, and then found out that he had a disagreement about his political beliefs. And then all of a sudden his perspective on that person just shifted. Um, he was like, oh, well, I never liked that guy. You know, that, that, that guy was, you know, terrible all along. And that I think forced him to challenge. It's like, okay, well we can add this label to somebody. And then we make a million inferences. We make all these assumptions about, well, this person probably believes this and they probably believe that too. And they probably treat people like this. But with my father-in-law, you know, I could know his political beliefs, but I also know that he's generous and I know that he's kind and I know that he's graceful and I know that he is, you know, passionate about A, B or C. You know, I, I can look at the broader issues. So I think that we ignore that in other people, especially people that we're not as familiar with, uh, really um, to our own detriment. I think that if we ignore, it's like, hey, there's a real complex, robust human person behind this political belief that I that I really need to be considering uh, rather than just saying, this is a person, you vote with this particular candidate, therefore you are all of these other things and I can't believe or respect you. You know, how can we approach this not as being tied in with everything else, but really distill it, separate it into a space that allows us to say, let's you and I talk about this particular issue or this particular slate of issues or these two particular candidates. And won't, we won't make any assumptions about each other's character, about what we, what else this says about us, but just, you know, what do we think about economic policy? And let's, let's make some, let's have some discussions about the value of a, a socialist economic policy versus a purely market-driven economic, you know, economic policy. And that discussion looks very different than one where you say, oh, you're a socialist. That means you're a bad person and you're, you don't believe in God or, you know, whatever else, you know, what other assumptions you try to make. Yeah, I think I love this ground rule of not making assumptions in the conversation. I think that's that's a, very... that's a that comes up a lot. I think we need to we, we need to have some golden rules at some point mm-hmm. um, and like etch them in gold. Yeah, you know, let's do it. People. So Don Miguel Ruiz, you know, has the four agreements and and don't make assumptions is one of the four. Um, and you know, I think that that is such a pivot point of potential disaster when we are making assumptions. And I think you've really highlighted that in a political sense. And then this conversation, you teed it up when you were talking about the relationship with your father-in-law, but phrases such as, I know you care deeply about this. Tell me why it's important to you or tell me more about it and and tell me your experience in this area and really getting at why is this person passionate about this? And and then the other piece of kind of maybe ground rule or, or policies in this in this uh, relationship communication is that let's focus on the the messages, not the people or the, the, the important uh, concepts 
and not the personalities. Because what right. I find, especially recently, is it's really personalities that we are talking about, um, yeah. less what they're actually doing. And something it depends on the topic, some things more than others. But but if you could have a, a political conversation with your partner, with really getting at political theory, um, economic development, human rights, um, caring for hum humanity, compassion, the environment, if you could really get at value-centered conversations around those topics instead of political parties and personalities, those could be beautiful ways of connecting with your partner. Right. And learning and more that, about them. Yeah. And I think that it would be valuable to separate those conversations from sort of the particular, you know, party line defaults. Yes. It's so easy to say, oh, well, if you want to raise taxes on the rich, you belong to this political party. And then there's a, there's a sort of avalanche of assumptions. If you don't want to raise taxes on the rich, you belong to this political party. And here's another avalanche of assumptions. So instead, if we just have questions around, let's let's ignore all of the, and so that must mean kind of uh, narrative that forms in our head. So instead, just say like, well, what would it look like? What would it look like for you and I as partners to say, we raise taxes on the rich? How would that make you feel? What does that what does that do inside you reactively? What are the philosophies of yours that that butts up against? What are the types of things that you think it would allow? What are the things that you think it would make more difficult? Um, instead of having the conversation of, is it morally right? Is it morally wrong? Now, again, you may have a moral view on that, um, but just recognizing that the conversation is more complicated than yes and no. And it's more complicated than, well, I believe, what do the Republicans say? That's what I believe. Uh, or what do the Democrats say? That's what I believe. I think one of the things that I remember watching in 2016. Um, one, I was in a liberal seminary at the time. Um, so that was an interesting- Liberal uh, theologically or politically? Yeah, the theologically. Thank you for clearing that. Um, and so um, we, it was just so interesting to- um, you know, process it as a group of people um, mm -hmm. and, and all different. I, I will say that we were, um, you know, we were honoring the echo chambers with which we live in with our families and our, our friends and and how isolated we might become in our views when we only talk with like minded people and we only surround ourselves with people like us. And so it was cool to be in a graduate program um, where we were pretty diverse um, as far as, um, you know, socioeconomic, culture, um, life experience. I would say we were a very, very diverse group. And then we had this common denominator of studying theology in, in a similar manner, right? We were being taught the same kind of theology. So we had these very rich political discussions. And and I do remember some people getting very upset and like leaving the room because they couldn't be in the room with somebody that you know, was having a different viewpoint. Meanwhile, we're all yeah. being trained to become pastors and <laughs> shepherd people through tough conversations. Um, so it was very good training. But I remember people being very hurt that a relative voted for the opposite person of, mm -hmm. you know, the student. And they were very hurt that their parents were these type of people that would vote for this type of candidate. And I just remember watching that of 
like we also have to allow space for everyone to make their own decisions too in our mm -hmm. world, right? We have to not put our stuff on those that we love and our agendas and our desires and our thoughts. And, and so I think this comes up like I, Rob and I, we didn't share who we voted for. I, I can kind of think I know who he voted for, but we really kind of don't need mm -hmm. to talk about that because um, what good would it do, I think, is kind mm -hmm. of the question. If we could talk about the issues and, um, and our belief system and our values and how we want to raise our children and what we believe to be true, that's a conversation worth having. But there's also this level of privacy that I think we're all entitled to also in yeah. how you actually use your right to vote. Yeah. I think it's it's a it's incredibly divisive. One person in the comment section talked about how for them it destroyed their small group. Um you know they had a small group that um and even maybe a like-minded small group, but one that just sort of disintegrated over just the I think how toxic those conversations can become. I think that for me, you know I know um, or I have a reasonable amount of confidence in who my father-in-law voted for. Certainly at the time, it, it makes you think like, is he that kind of person? And I have to recognize that I'm the one filling in the blank for what that kind of person is. You know, I'm the one saying, well, any person that <laughs> that votes for a particular candidate is a bad person, is a, you know, holds these particular beliefs, carries this value system. Um, and those are my assumptions. Those are, and those are informed by, political media that I'm consuming. You know, I, I had this belief coming out of the 2016 election that if I could sit down with somebody who voted in a different direction than I did, I'm, I, and I'm a therapist, so this is a bias that I'll carry. Um, I'm also a white guy. So, you know, I have this belief that everybody must want to have a conversation with me. I felt like if I could have a conversation with them, that we could get to a place of understanding, that we could get to a place where we, we could say like, okay, well, is it, you know, how much are you this person I imagine you to be? And I think that in most cases, they wouldn't be the person that I imagine them to be. They would probably be kind in, in, in most ways. They would probably be generous in most ways. You know, again, all the things that we want the people in our lives to be, they would still be all of those things. And there would be things that I disagree with them. There would be things that make me feel really uncomfortable and things that I would be itching to make them change their minds on. And I think that one of the final things that I want us to to name is, are we having these conversations to change people or are we having these conversations to understand people? And ultimately that goes back to some of what we talked about at the beginning, which was these conversations begin inside of a debate, inside of a, a paradigm of argumentation. And the first thing we have to do is name that as an unproductive context to connect with each other. But if instead we say, you know, our chief outcome is to understand each other more effectively. Um, I want to know how you come to the conclusions you come to, because maybe I'll learn something. I mean, imagine that. What if we entered a conversation saying, what could I learn from this interaction instead of how can I make this person different? And those conversations, we talk about the playing field and we add that to, you know, this here, I'll, I'll share kind of the list that we've been working on as we've been talking we acknowledge that we have more in common than we have different from one another. We can sit in disagreement without judging each other's character. 
we want to understand and not change each other. We want to avoid making assumptions based on sort of one dimensional beliefs or values or behaviors. And if we can start there and say that, well, what we really want is to be in connection with these folks. Um, then I think we end up getting to a place where we say, okay, well, I see now that there's a person across from me who thinks about this situation differently, who isn't a villain and who maybe on one, even if, you know, again, I'm thinking about that comment, even if we think about, well, it's a moral issue for me. Okay. Well, maybe you disagree with a person on one particular moral issue, but in, in large part, I think we would say it's like, oh, well, people don't have to be perfect. What if we allowed that same level of grace and flexibility to people on this basis? And again, I think that we're we're sort of inside of a paradigm where you're sort of asked to choose a team and you're not supposed to talk with people from the other team. So if we step outside of that and say, okay, no, I can allow people to be imperfect, even if I'm making all these assumptions and, and making these equations of politics equals morality, you can still do that. You can still do that as long as you don't try to say, I know everything there is to know about this person. And... I, it's my job to convince this person. And if I can't convince them, they're a lost cause and I don't even want to have the conversation. Yeah. The, I think that, um, am I trying to change this person or am I trying to connect with this person is a really good question. It's that kind of cliche of, do I want to be right or do I want to be kind here? And, you know, and so what is the motivation in having this conversation in, in, in your relationship with this person? And I think of my, my brother-in-law, after an election will say, well, I voted for the cream of the crap. <laughs> and and that's his attitude with politics, right? But I think when I think about that, if we are, if we're debating the, the cream of the crap, is it worth hurting these relationships we hold so dear and important that we're disagreeing and we're hurting each other over these people that really don't have a daily impact on our lives. I know we could argue that, but, right, but right. like, why are we fighting about these personalities that they're, they're, you know, so to speak, the cream of the crap. And I'm not, I don't want to lose this dear person in my life mm -hmm. because I'm getting hung up on something like one issue, like what you're bringing up at, because I'm equating that to a, a character flaw. Um, sure. And so I think keeping that all in perspective, but I love what you summed up. And I really think try, seeking first to understand, right? Seeking to understand the other person um, might be a really healthy way to engage in political discussions rather than trying to convince somebody yeah. to see it your way. Yeah. And, it's, and, and to put a nice bow on this and bring us full circle, as you were talking about, you know, the cream of the crap and this idea that there is a, there's sort of a limit to our actual capacity to behave. Now you can go out and be an activist and, you know, attend rallies and all that type of stuff. But, but at the end of the day, your vote counts the same as everybody else's vote. That is the way you engage the process is you say, I'm going to vote for this person. The person that wins works for you. You know, in, in, in our political system, um, that person's job is to represent you on matters concerning the role of whatever government institution you've elected them to. And if it's my neighbor down the street that I disagree with, um, or if it's my wife that I disagree with, or my father-in-law, to one degree or another, the same group of people represents me as represents them now. We spend a lot of energy ramping up to that first week in November where we actually go to the polls and vote. But 
our role as political creatures is something that should be with us all the time. Um, you know, 365 days a year, every single year, we have a responsibility to to participate in our civic role. And that's something that we can continue to do with kindness and understanding without labeling people. So I think that you and I would both say that it what matters most at the end of the day is that you get to decide how politics shows up in your relationships. And if your goal is to strengthen, grow, build new relationships, doing that will include beginning from a place of understanding, trying to table your assumptions, resisting the temptation to make judgments, and then allowing yourself to sort of sit in disagreement with folks. Um, does that feel like a fair summation of it's kind of a beautiful doing? summation? Yes. If we can all actually do that, it's hard in the moment when you're in the sure, heat of the sure. moment. But yeah, those are beautiful guiding principles. Yeah. Well, I think that will wrap us up today for this week's episode of Super Together. Uh, Continue to join us on Tuesdays and Fridays, which is when our new episodes drop. Again, my name is James Cochran. You can find information about my practice at www.talkingwithjames.com. And I'm Ginger Rothis, and you can find me at compassionfix.com. Be well. Wait. (laughs) Sorry. No, go ahead. I, and I say, I probably say something like, you go, everybody. And then you say, be well. Be well.